That's a, it's a reminder to us all about how easy it is for us to, to get off track. And that's, that's a marvelous lead-in for me tonight, as I want to share for a few minutes about what it means, at least from my perspective, uh, on how to seek it. You guys are pretty close to me. Uh, is that all right? Yeah. If I spit on you, just let me know. I, 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 that's all right. It's great to see everybody. I am so glad you're here. It's the first time I've ever had to speak in a place where you had to get a ticket to get in. Uh, I feel, feel very important. And I've noticed something uh, since we've gotten here. That marquee outside. We drove up and we saw the name of a guy who's going to be here next month. His name is Weird Al Yankovic. I know you love him. See, there you go. No, tonight you get Weird Bill. That's who you get. This is a month earlier. Take it for Weird Bill. But then, uh, Jameson set me straight because there's a bunch of weird people here tonight. Not just me, but you. I love those, those normal people who wear, wear regular clothes. I know there's a, kind of a, a degree of weirdness here. You, you, you wear this kind of clothes if you're normal, and then you have a tie if you're a little more weird. Like these guys. Ties. You have a sweater if you're a little more weird, and then you have those blue jackets if you're really off the wall. Have you noticed that? That's what I'm saying. And, uh, I, uh, I'm just glad to be a weird person loved by Jesus with you all. And I'm really glad that uh, I can watch the band here. Thank you all for ministering to us. I can watch your sleeping. I can gauge. And if you are alone by my preaching, which I hope you're not, I can scream Michigan and get a response. Can I? Is that what I do? Or, or Indiana or something like I know I'm saying. All right. Let's dive in tonight. And I want to say this before I start. This is a salvationist meeting. And that means that we focus on Jesus, the Son of God. And by His Spirit, He can work in a theater that, where many people have performed for the wrong reasons. This room has been filled with all kinds of stuff, and you and I, by our prayer and trust in Jesus, can say, Lord, we rebuke all of that, and we ask you to come now and speak tonight through everyone who spoke. What a marvelous evening. I didn't want to speak. I already been ministered to. I've got to, because Bob told me I had to. But I want to share this for a few moments, and I want you to notice at this meeting... Without any coercion, no one will coerce, coerce you. There is an altar here. And that altar is the most important geography, part of the geography of this room tonight. That's the place where God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus our Lord can meet you tonight, wherever you are. I can't even see half of you. But if, I don't care where you are, I want you to ask the Lord right now to make where you're sitting a place that could be a sanctuary for Him to speak to your heart. And if you want to seek Him, as we heard, Colette, read that beautiful verse, if you seek Him with all of your heart, He will be found. And He'll be found right here tonight. That's what we want. Now, if I can work this thing, I'll be amazed. The thing with seeking, as I begin to think about this, is, of course, if I'm going to seek, I've got to seek the right person. Just like we heard a few moments ago, if you seek the wrong person, or seek the wrong things about it, you're messed up. But the amazing thing about seeking Jesus is, every time you seek Him, you automatically seek others. That's the one thing the Salvation Army has always gotten right, at least as far as I can tell. Christians tend to separate those two, and when you do, you're dead in the water. But you all, as in everything, are perfectly correct. You see that Christians in the Separate the reality. You talk to yourself, that's all right, you're great. You all know what it is to seek Him. And when you seek Jesus, somebody else always comes into your purview. That's the way it always works. If you truly seek Him with all of your heart. 
Now, as I began to look at the book of John, thinking of our time together, as a teacher, I'm going to do this. I can't go to a pastor without looking at the whole thing. Let me just say two quick things about the Gospel of John, which many people have noticed. I think they're right on the money. First thing is this. It is a book divided into two different parts. The first 11 chapters are all filled with signs, pointers to Jesus, who he is, what he can do in every human heart, in all the universe. The second half we call the section of glory. Now that's an important word for John. He uses it many, many times. But glory means, basically, God reveals himself the most here. When God's glory shows up, you better watch out. He makes himself known. And when his glory touches somebody's life, they are unmistakably touched by that one who's the glorious one. The amazing thing is, though, if you don't seek it properly, you can confuse that glory and begin to think, I like the way I'm looking. I like what I'm feeling. That glory is, of course, from the devil himself. There's only one kind of glory. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. The other thing is this. We're told in this book quite clearly what it's all about. So every verse up to this point, chapter 20, verse 31, is summarized clearly by John. He says, these things I have written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And by believing, you might have life in his name. That means everything he writes about, everything he's about is exactly what Salvation Army is about. Everything he talks about, every word he speaks, every action is that we might believe and that by someone else might believe that he is the Christ. Often the signs we think are signs of Jesus, we misuse. And they're not for his glory, they're for somebody else's glory. Or the past, or history, or something else. Or denomination. The signs of Jesus always point to his glory. That someone might believe who he is. I'm so overwhelmed by the beauty of this night, I forgot my next point. So I'm going to click it with this thing right here. I feel like there's some stuff right now, but I'm not going to do that. I, 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 I really feel the Lord's given me four things, four quick things tonight in this book. And he gave it to me years ago as I began to study and was taught through the book of John. And these pictures have informed much of my adult life. As we seek him, I found, as I look at the book of John and any other book, that if I don't seek him properly, if I don't understand who it is I'm dealing with, I'm in big trouble. Let me show you an illustration of the deep south. I come from Mississippi, at least I work there. Uh, no clapping for that. I don't understand. Am I out of territory or what? Are you geographically bigoted? What's the matter with you? Mississippi. There I am. Deep south, 1950. You all know the history of all of America, all of the world. But we, the Deep South always had to hammer for this because we had some gross sins and may still still have. A bunch of teenage kid boys got on a bus. And they were, uh, uh, they found, seated near where the white folks started, the black folks started, a large African-American man. Very muscular, very strong. But they knew in that culture, he could do nothing to them. So the weakest 13-year-old imp of a, of a kid, trying to show off for his, his buddies, moved toward this huge man and said, Boy, move! I want to see. And so this big, heaping hulk of a man got up. He just kept standing up and walked to the back of the bus quiet. Well, this guy liked this, like his power. Like treating somebody like they're less than they are. So he went back and mocked him and slapped him and 
pointed in his face, and, and his friends all laughed. And this huge humble man being humbled by this pimply-faced idiot of a white boy. Stop came for the black man to get out. And as he did, he, he passed by and took out a calling card and passed it to his young friend. And as he passed by, the boy read the card and it said this, Joe Lewis, heavyweight champion of the world. You know what? When you seek Jesus, be careful. You may not have any idea who you're messing with. You may have no idea who it is you're dealing with. Not that he ever does that, except to the devil. But he can do things in ways that you and I never understand. We can't even comprehend it. And if you're going to seek him, you better seek him exactly like he's revealed in the scripture. He doesn't come the way we think he ought to come. He messes everything up. And so therefore, when we're offering to seek in ministry something to do with we haven't sought him properly, understood him properly, I believe that our seeking gets all messed up. And young people can go for years wondering, what's my calling? What can I do when there's a simple, I think, for most of you, a simple basic outline for life? And Jesus, of course, reveals that to us. Like here. If I don't seek him properly, if I'm not aware of who I'm dealing with, I've got two problems. Either I think I know him when I don't, that's the worst, or I have a wrong view of him. On the way here, my wife and I listened to a little bit of news. And it's intriguing to me that on the way to speak tonight, I heard about that Guantanamo Bay trial that's going on. This, this guy who was a mastermind behind the slaughter of 3,000 Americans. And knowing clearly that this guy who was on the street of Chicago, if he was here tonight, he would want with all of his heart to kill me. And the reason is because he's a very religious man. Extremely religious man. And a dangerous man. You see, a wrong view of God can produce an amazingly dangerous life. And it can produce a warped life, a place where ministry is warped. Calling is warped. What you and I think is mission gets warped because God doesn't act like we think He does. He acts in ways that shock and undermine and begin to undo every single part of our hearts so that we realize, Lord, unless I constantly seek You, I can't find you in a moment and be done with it. I must be constantly seeking who you are and bathe across my life the reality of who you are. And that in regard, I want to become like you. So, I began to go through it. Don't worry, I'm a teacher. These are just pictures to pass through. I won't go through all these points. But notice, John filled this book with not theology, thank God. He fills it with pictures. Things I can understand. Things about Jesus. Look, they're basic things. Birth. Wind, water, bread, living water, lit, sight. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. When you can't find light, when you're looking around, there's no light, when you think light's on you, he's the light. We've seen that so graphically described to us tonight in that marvelous sketch. John takes all these pictures of nature and makes them supernaturally real. Now let's keep going. He goes to a meal. A vine, Jesus says, you're the branches. We have others. That he gets up and offers his disciples breakfast. That's not just a meal. That's a symbol of his on-giving, faithful love to us. John is packed with these things. So let me give you four quick ones, which I think, at least for me, have been for about 20 years, or more, maybe 30 years. I'm an old man. Really old man. I'm the oldest man here without a white uniform on, I think, tonight. That's my, my claim to fame. 
doing whatever he wants, making people go to hell. What in the world are you talking about? Jesus came only once, God revealed. And when he came, he came as a lamb. He came to his creation. His creation said, you know what? We don't like you. And so Holman Hunt, and you all see this picture somewhere in your life. It's almost in every church I've ever been to. He draws a picture after a year in Israel. And this picture encapsulates the entire gospel. Jesus, the King, the light of the world, standing in front of your heart and my heart, knocking on a door that has, and you all heard it, no handle on the outside. The same thing happens tonight. It's amazing. You could be a major in the army and be as hard-hearted in this room as a pagan outside this door. It's amazing how often we live like that. In a holiness denomination, wanting our way, grasping for attention, making sure we're in control, and the Lord says, you don't understand anything about me. When I came as the king, I came totally rejected. And by the way, he still is. Tonight. Rejectable. That's why we have an altar right in this room. You choose. He doesn't. He never forces anybody to obey him. He never forces anybody to love him. He always knocks at a door. I don't know what kind of picture helps you, but a huge fortress gate is the picture I have in my mind for John chapter 1. That first paragraph. A huge door. Your heart. My heart. And the only way that gets open is when you and I say, Tonight. Or tomorrow, or next, whatever it is. Lord, I open the floodgates of my life. I want all of your life or all of mine. And when that occurs, glory comes in. And your ministry and mine is to, as Jameson said so beautifully, what a, what a testimony to be a sanctified megaphone of the redemptive love of Jesus to one soul, one soul, one by one. What a great summation for the Salvation Army. Right there. For all Christians. The door. The question is not somebody next to you, though. It's me. This weekend. You open the door. He never does. Now, the second thing I want to say, if I can get to come up, is that he risks. He connects. We're talking about I connect. But you know what? Whenever I say I, I get freaked out. Because I get too focused on me. I know we need to connect, but I want to connect the way Jesus connects. He always connects. This is my first point. This is another way. He always connects by risking rejection. And the Salvation Army, it seems to me, is one of the major evidences to us in its entire history that it was based and better still be, my dear friends, I can't see, and I'm glad I can't. You guys with the big black coats, whatever it is you're wearing, I want to say to you leaders and to you who are the youngest soldiers or maybe about to be soldiers in this room, Please don't ever stop being rejectable. Don't stop risking rejection. I went to my to my, my own Wisconsin. Uh, not, there is there are to be not any self-exaltation. There ought to be nothing in anyone's call, any mission, that does not point to a rejectable Savior. That means there is no coercion, no manipulation. There's no straining or pushing. Yes, there's work. There's none of that conniving. It's all 
done in the name of this omnipotent king who is so weak, he has chosen to be rejectable. In that beautiful personal salvation, he offers to every single person who's ever lived. Now, I had some great quote, but I think my quote time is going to be gone here before I know it. But I'll tell you, the more and more I read of Booth and Brandon, especially the wives, but the guys are okay too sometimes. Especially when I read those guys, I find these incredible things. Listen to this, if I can find it. Here's the quote that came to me as I prepared for this message. I've not read it before. I love reading what Catherine preaches. I love, I love the actual words that she preaches. Is it okay if I'm in Mississippi? If I sweat a little bit, is that all right? I've been freaking out about that all night long because of this crazy Megatron thing. What do you call this? Dude? It's too close, but in Mississippi, we don't use handkerchiefs, we use bath towels. But anyway, there we are. And it makes me feel really, really good to be able to do that. Thank you. Here's the quote. No one reads your last quote. Listen to this. Imagine Booth preaching this where he preaches all the time on the street corner. This is downtown in London. My comrades. I want to say you can walk as the saints walked, but sadly, most of you never will. Now already, that is risking rejection. When you talk to somebody like that, I know all about the PC side, but listen to this. This, this challenged me, and maybe it will challenge you. He said, if you think you can walk into eternity with a Bible under your arm, you are going to hell. Yikes! You will finish up in the bottomless abyss, spending your eternity in hell in reading over and over again the words that might have got you to the heart of Jehovah on earth and the home of Jehovah in the skies. It may some it means something more than walking with God's people. More than reading your Bible and more than walking, hanging with God's people. You may walk with mothers and fathers and comrades, sing with them, read their Bibles, go to meetings, marches. Open airs with them, travel with them right away, and still, when you cross that cold river, you will depart from the great white throne, parted for God from God forever. I think you just hear the clapping and screaming for that. He just gets just gets started. And I'll finish with this. It is possible that this may be the last time I shall have an opportunity to speak to you of the future, of heaven, of hell, and Calvary. And the last time probably a number of you who are here will listen to such words from the lips of any human being. I am going to preach the funeral sermon for some man and some woman here tonight. I demand, demand, that you stop and look at your Lord bleeding upon the cross of your salvation. I'll tell you what, you want to risk some rejection, just preach like that. In the church! Why is it we have nobody preaching that anymore on TV? Why are mega churches filled with garbage? Why are people being followed by the thousands who offer blessings? I'm not quite sure what kind of Jesus we're talking about. Not the one John's talking about. Jesus came, and anyone who catches his mission, his character, his glory, will say, Lord, lead me to the worst. Lead me to the down and out. As James has said, lead me to the weird people. And he will do that every single time. All right, quickly, let's go to the second point. The Holy One always seeks humble. Being up when he was just rejected, but now we have to seek humble. Oh, my word. So we go to chapter 1. That marvelous paragraph, we have this shocking 
creator rejected things, the lamb rejected things, and now we've got, what, a door that he doesn't open. My word, God, can't you just walk right in and knock people over? Apparently not. Apparently not. Even though we see it on TV, that's not the way Jesus works in the Bible ever. What's he do? Well, he says, I want to raise a man from the dead. I'll do that. And instead of taking that as his major megaphone, he says, by the way, there's a prophecy in Zechariah about a donkey. And that donkey, I want you to make sure you buy get a donkey that's not just, did my picture not come up? I had a great picture of a donkey. I cannot believe it. Here I am, working all this time on a donkey, and there's no picture. Okay, it's a blank screen. Just look at me, donkey. That's what it is. I'm donkey. There you go. And he gets on the back of a baby donkey. Not even a big donkey. He gets on the back of a cold of a mama donkey. By the way, the picture all wrong. The mama and the baby are together, walking through. Babies never leave their mamas. Not baby donkeys. Last week I was in Kentucky. And you know, all this stuff. Oh, stop. Anyway. <laughs> south, the south. We're going to get another baby for that. But anyway. And, and you know where I was? I was in that beautiful bluegrass. Thinking about that, that poor horse that got killed for not, I don't know what happened, broke his legs or a horrible story. Do you know how much those horses cost? $12.6 million for a horse. Now, one friend I had, a dear, a brilliant man. Uh, one day when a horse was sold for that month, I think he was one that day. One-year-old baby horse, never on a step in his life. My friend called a farmer he knew and said, Bud, how much, what's the going away for donkeys today? And the farmer said, about 40 to 60 bucks. My friend said, you know, things haven't changed much since the first century A.D. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Rejectable, always, and always humble. You know why? I think that's why they can wear those crazy blue uniforms. I think that's why they make you do it. I think it's one great way in this interesting culture to make sure we're not in this for ourselves. And I love it. Every time somebody sees that white uniform, they love you because they know you're there humbly. At least I hope so. It's amazing when I think about Jesus coming on the back of a donkey. Listen to what... Again, Booth said, two sentences that we probably have memorized, but they're, they're great reminders to me. Two gifts to the, the army just before he died. The lost sheep of society said two things. God and salvation are the remedy for all the ills of mankind. Number one. And number two, go for souls and go for the worst. Go for souls and go for the worst. Now let me just do a little history lesson. Don't have all time. Let me do a little history lesson. Think about it now. Wesley comes to the scene. I'm a Methodist. You've got to like him. Wesley comes to the scene. Hallelujah. But then what happens? The Methodist church messes everything up. And we're still messing it up even today. The only grace we have are the people from Africa who are Methodists. They're re-injecting the gospel with us, American Methodists. Hundred years, Methodists die. And Booth is right there when he dies. He says, Jesus, where? And he gets up and goes to the East End, the worst of the worst. Now we are at the beginning of the 21st century. And I want to ask you, is the army dead? No. If I'm not being, 
because there's nobody else in my and your Wesleyan holiness tradition that's doing anything like you're doing. Nobody goes to the worst. And they don't take Jesus if they go. You all are the hinge for this entire movement. You were there at the beginning of the 19th century, and now in the 21st century, we've got to ask ourselves this question. Is this that God raised up a dead thing like Methodism is? It better not be. I don't know where you're going to go next if you all die. So what's going to happen this Sunday morning is about the transmission of a vision. A vision of rejectable and humble, let me say it, donkey-like ministry. Open-air meetings. A laughing stock wherever in history that was. One day in New York City, Pringle was walking. Open air, you know, I had band, open air, Pringle. No, my word, he's always doing the open air thing. Some lady with baubles and stuff came walking up to him and said, Sir, your methods really embarrass me. And he smiled. I wouldn't smile. He smiled. And he said, Well, ma'am, can you tell me about your methods? And she thought, Well, she said, I don't have any methods. He said, Well, ma'am, I like mine better than yours. <laughs> so you know what I'm saying? I don't know how cool you are. This band is cool and I'll ever be. In fact, let me just tell you something like me better. I have their CD in my car. I listen to it almost every other day. I felt so cool that I, was, I, could, I knew the songs on the little screen there. I knew them. I just them up. I can't think of a second free CD. Can you? I can't think of a second free CD. Three of Whatever you want to do. All right. Black. Okay. Yeah. Humility. The army is always based upon this absolute humility. And when it's not, you can tell it. When corruption gets in, and it can get in, I've watched. When this leadership thing gets whacked out, when this fear of position gets involved, I can tell it in a moment. It's got to stop. And we have got to return to say, Lord, if you can sanctify a gospel minister, sanctify me. I don't have to be seen. All I want to do is be one dumb donkey leading somebody to Jesus. And you know what? When that happens, the world is redeemed. No one is saved unless somebody slips off the back of a donkey. I'm convinced of it. Third, if I can get here. Yeah, here's a song I'm concerned. You know that thing about the, the boots and Michael? Well, we know that thing. I, on my desk, I have the best gift besides what my wife's given to me. I said that to save myself. In my entire life, <laughs> the best gift ever is a six or eight, six or eight inch tall ceramic uh, carpet. What do you call ceramic thing? Uh, 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 a figurine of Brangle washing, wiping his boots. I look at it every day. You wash their feet, I polish their boots. That radical picture, I thought, you know, what about Jesus? I, I thought, because he's like me, he, what he did was he, he was correcting people. You know, that's what I would do. Well, you didn't wash my feet, so I'll just show you how to do it, you dumb disciples. That's the way I would do it, correcting, sort of walking around, kind of throwing water and wiping. You didn't get it. I'm God. I'm the king. I'm the light of the world. And you won't even bow to do anything for me. Not even basic hospitality. Now, this is really interesting. I was reading this last week. In, uh, in Kings, 
about Abigail. Remember Abigail, that really smart woman? Like every other woman I know? Really, really smart woman. Whose husband's name is... I'm really getting points tonight. Really good. The husband's name is Nabal, which means, of course, fool. That's a great name for a husband. Hey, fool. Come here. Fool. So, Abigail is there. Fool. Except for this one thing. When you kneel, 
your feet are sticking straight back behind you. And I love it. It's a humbling thing. But I wonder how many of us need to be reminded that only when Jesus serves you are you saved and transformed. When he gets his hands on your filthy life and mind, that's the only way. And it takes a humbled person to give Jesus access to their feet. He always works that way. I know where I'm going. You've got a sovereign who is rejected, a royal king. You've got a holy one who's humble, holy humility. You've got a sovereign who serves. My goodness. I mean, God, that's, that's kind of a messed up story to me at the end. And by the way, we've got a Lord who lays down his life. I sure hope that's the end. We've got a lamb. We've got a door. But now we have the lamb of God who is slain. Now everybody in this in the room knows what's, what's new about the cross. We kind of make it sort of, a, sort of a thing that we think we know all about. I want to say, I don't think anyone in this room, I don't care how deep you are in the Word, how long you know the Lord, has any comprehension of the full implications of the cross. The depth of it, the reality of it, for anyone, is an eternal mystery that you are welcome to dive into, to, to drink from. But let me just ask one, one quick question. Why is it that this one act saves the world? I don't know if I'm on the right track. What? How is it? Why, why wouldn't education? Why wouldn't, you know, more money? Why, why, why all these power? People in this room, you, you're going to go back to huge familial problems, huge economic problems. Colette said, forget those, those things. And there are huge things. How can this act save me, redeem me, deal with the storms of my life? How? 2,000 years ago, could this act? The only answer I have is this is that this picture, which is, by the way, sanitized from how horrible it was, we always make it nice it was, this picture is a picture of what sin does to every person. Sin will decimate your life. Sin has decimated every life you're going to meet. And the only way to redeem that life is not by rejectability, not by humility, not even by washing feet. God himself had to die. God made. And now he turns to you and me tonight and says, and by the way, no one connects with me without knowing this in their lives. That's where most of us stop. We don't mind the serving, rejectable, humbling them. But when you ask me to lay down my life, oh my word. Thank you for forgiving me for my sins. Thank you for the consequences. I'm not going to hell. Thank you. The Lord says, yes, fine. Now, I want you to hear what I just said in John chapter 12. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, if it doesn't fall into the ground, it will not bear. But if it does, it will bear much fruit. And that applies to Jesus. That's why we're here tonight. And those in this room who need to be willing to die so that others might see him. Amen. It's interesting. We talked about spitting earlier. I love this story. Booth is walking down that, that street with those hoodlums knocking, throwing rotten eggs and all that stuff and dead fish. Salvation is actually being killed. 
other parts of England. He's walking down the middle of London, and some young hooligan spits on him. And some careful cadet, making sure that the general didn't get too much of tried to wipe the spit off of his shoulder. And who said, stop, stop, stop. It's a medal of honor. It's a medal of honor. When were you ever a person like that? Don't wipe the spit off of my uniform. It's a medal of honor. And then he said, as he got back, I think, a couple days later to his cadets, the only way you can be a cadet is if you're willing to go into crucifixion yourself. And you know what? I've heard lots of people talk like that. But I've seen, because I'm one of them, seen very few people who've ever done that. And I'm not talking about physical death. I know that's happening. Last century and this century. I'm talking about somebody who's willing to die in the down streets of Chicago. Die laying their life down. Letting it be covered up in what seems like nothingness. Dirt. A seed that dies there. That bears much fruit. Now I've got to be done here. And we're going to have an altar call in just a moment. But just because you're a Bible scholar, I want to make sure you understand, I know the Bible too, like you do. I'm saying, Bill, it's only half the story. I know it's half the story. I know in the book of, of Revelation, the same author says in four different ways, this is going to change. He's not going to come that time there are going to be any doors closed. When he comes, every door is going to be blown wide open. When he comes again, there's not going to be a door in this theater that's going to be blown wide open. And if our EO speedway is up here, they better look out. I'm telling you what. If we're Al's here, he better look out. And if Bill Urey's here, he better look out. When he comes again, there's not going to be a donkey. He's going to have a white stallion. And on the back of that horse is going to be a king with a stack of clouds in his head and a sword inside. And on that sword is going to be the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. When he comes again, he is not going to bow down for any matter of crisis. He's going to bow down. We're going to bow down before him. We're a little excited here. Forgive me. One more minute. We're going to bow. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. But wait, we pray Jesus Lord We sent him to this cross. We said we know where you belong. We know how to fix it. And we put God on the cross. We do it. I did. When he comes again, he will dispose of you and me to the right and to the left. But as my dear, dear theological teacher taught me, every one of those pictures come after the end of human history has already come to a close. No one is saved after that appearance. It's come and it's the end. So my question, my dear theological friends, is can I connect before he comes that way with his ministry? Am I willing to connect as he always connects? Am I so full of myself that I would not even begin to think the way Jesus thought? I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be humbled. I don't want to serve those stinking people. And if he has me to lay my life down so it's never seen again, I, that's a real deal for me. Yeah, it is a real deal. It is the main deal. 
And the Salvation Army has said to every cadet who's ever come across any graduation line or any commissioning, listen to us. This is no game. If you seek Him, you will find Him. And if you find Him, you'll become like Him. And if you become like Him, the world will know Him. And that's what we offer to you. Nothing more. We offer you Jesus. We offer you Jesus. So that you can offer Jesus to the world. I wonder tonight if somebody says, Bill, I, I think I came with a whole wrong perspective. I, I thought mission was about me finding my career. I thought it was about money. You think that's your way out of your mind here? I thought it was about getting noticed. I don't know about that. All I know is the Salvation Army has been based upon this kind of connection with the world since the beginning. And every time it hasn't, it starts to die. But I sense in young people across this salvationist world a revival of reality, which says we're not going to go for anything but the broke relationship of Jesus saying, whatever it takes to win the world, we will walk as he walked. We will love as He loves, and we will die as He dies. And if that's you tonight, listen to me. No manipulation, no hoopla, and no fear pressure. That's not Jesus, ever. If you need to come and bow your knee before the Lord of the universe and let Him wash your feet, He can do it right here tonight. I wonder if you stand with me. Can you stand where you are? Would you bow your head? Please don't bump anybody. Maybe the person next to you needs to hear what's coming next. Maybe you don't. I understand that. Let, let the Holy Spirit now descend. He already has been here so, so evidently. In these closing moments, as our worship team leads, please, you musically experts, you musical experts, I pray that you will be thinking about the notes, you'll be thinking about the words that you're crying out to Jesus. Cry them out to the triune God and say, Lord, I want to connect with the world the way you connect. Make me a missionary in your image. And Lord, you can take any pride, any reservation, any hesitation to serve the worst. And you can also deal with my lack of wounds to give my life away. I just don't feel like I know what that even means. The Lord says, well, I'll show you. Let me show you. And tonight, at this altar, a seed can drop into the ground and die. And from that resurrection life, Jesus gives fruit can be born for generations. It is the truth that's been verified in the scripture and in church history and in the salvation army. Thousands upon thousands of times. And in this room, somebody's future hands in the balance. I know that. You can be reserved with me, that's fine. But I want to tell you, Jesus is knocking. And he's knocking after slipping off the back of a donkey. He does this in a secular theater. With fans and everything. This is the way Jesus always does it. Moving past his friend, coming to a crude altar. That's the way he all he clarifies everything. Who he is and who we are. And if somebody dies, I don't want my life to be mine. I want it to be yours. Jesus comes and the world is transformed.
What would move Cindy tonight? What would Brenda? What would Catherine say? She'd say, come, die, be crucified. Let us show you this is not some game. This is the life Jesus came to offer. And it's the only life which offers life and life in the world. As we sing, this altar is open. You come as the Holy Spirit of Jesus leads you gently, but leads you unmistakably to this place of prayer. Would you come as we sing together?